Are you sick of podcasts about bullshit like science and history and celebrities you don't care about? Well, might I interest you in the podcast that's kind of sort of about miniature wargaming and miniature wargaming painting, but mostly about chicken tendies and fart jokes in the podcast known as Trapped Under Plastic, the podcast for frog jizz-based board games. I think that was a throwback to when we talked about Townsfolk Tussle. And the the boss was like a the milkman. <laughs> he was like a frog, and like he was giving out milk. You know? Oh yeah, that frog milk. Yeah. That ah, there's so many inside jokes. Even we forget them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of celebrities, we don't care about John. I noticed during your preamble, we we're talking about a celebrity that people might not care about. <laughs> yeah, I guess some preambles in the rambles here. You got a fucking lot, so you better you better go first. Yeah, I got a lot, and I had more things too, but oh, I forgot them. Lord Almighty, I forgot them. Um. Okay, I remember one of them. So I'm going to start with that one. Uh, we need to have, we need to come clean with the goody peepees, Scott. Oh, um, what have we done? The last two podcasts that weren't in Las Vegas, and we haven't decided yet for today. We have not eaten canes for lunch. That's true. Fuck. Okay, Dude, I forgot about this dark yeah. secret. Yeah, we had some fucking bonch on, bro. Some bon- yeah. So it's some fried chicken, dude. It is so good. <laughs> It is is a Korean fried chicken joint, mm-hmm. and they got their wings on point, bro. Mm-hmm. Are you as opposite the thing? Are you a soy garlic man? Or are you a spicy man? I get fitty fitty. You do a little mixer. Yeah, I do fitty fitty. I okay. get, I, you know, you get an order, and they know their demographic. Mm. So right in the options for you picking your meal, you can just it just says fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. It's not this Buffalo Wild Wings bullshit where it's like <laughs> you got to walk this fine line of how many wings can I order to get two sauces. No, and it's like you're playing their game, and it's like oh the the good special lunch special you can't, but if you buy the same amount of wings not on the special and pay three dollars more, then you can. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. Not a banchan, baby. Not a banchan. Yeah, and they got the them. options are simple, dude. And they got those fries with the parmesan. Oh, and yeah, them. dude. And I think they have like bonito flakes on them, and like all kinds of like added extra bits. Yeah, Casa Bonito flakes. Yeah, dude, I took the ones that you gave me. I reheated them, ate them later. Oh, baby, quality. So I think I think we have decided what we're doing for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so game. yeah, so we needed to come clean with our adulterous ways. <laughs> Goody peepees. Listen, <laughs> oh. we like we're 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 a polyamorous <laughs> chicken consuming podcast. We we are <laughs> like them all, uh, mostly the good ones though. Um, we're not gonna hit up like the McNuggets. I just imagined like you standing at the altar and then your your bride walks down the aisle and instead of being a human, it's just a giant, giant chicken tender. <laughs> it's got a dress on <laughs> and, a dress. and a veil. <laughs> yeah. you, you fucking take the veil off and you just fucking eat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, instead of ring, instead of like giving oh, oh, the exchanging of the rings, I just have like this little cup of cane sauce. <laughs> <laughs> you just dip like, your little, little finger, finger in there. In there. <laughs> and you bite their face off and then you suck on your pinky. <laughs> This is fucked. <laughs> okay, that was uh, the pre the pre pre right there. Yeah, that wasn't a single item on John's list. <laughs> no. So uh, Mark Mangagello finally got back to me, aka Joe Manganello. Um, he, as far as I know, as of the recording of this podcast, he hasn't received the um, the miniature that I painted for him yet. Okay. Um, but through the grapevine, he found out that I did it. Nice. And then Broken Anvil reached out to him and was like, 
hey, there's this. We just wanted to be, you know, sensitive that like, is it okay if we send it to you? Here's the video. He watched the video and he's like, fuck yes, send this to me. This nice. is awesome. So that, that felt really cool. Nice. And then I have a whole little handwritten letter in there that I wrote to him that he's going to get to. Uh, hi, Mr. Manganiello. <laughs> I, I, I love uh, 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 Magic Mike. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, obviously, and the Smurfs. I, obviously <laughs> I started that way. <laughs> Do you want to be in my tendy wedding? <laughs> I need a, I need a man of honor. Yes, dude. Uh, wait, was not made groomsman. Fuck, I don't know. What did they do at weddings? Yeah, yeah, groomsman, maid of honor, maid of honor. Yeah, he can be the maid of honor. No. Um. So that was that was really cool. So we'll see what he gets at. Um. You know, because obviously the the letter to him is mostly just dumb jokes. <laughs> Yeah, okay, that sounds about it's right. It's not serious at all. Like it starts off as like a like a John Deere letter and it like, you know, it's just like, you know, something along the lines of like, you know, who would have thought when we were nerdy little kids and playing Dungeons and Dragons in our basement that this would be what we fucking doing with our lives, Joe. It's pretty amazing. And then it just goes into stupid shit. <laughs> jokes. Um and then at the end of it, um, he's a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan, which is a football team. Um, thank you, thank you, appreciate that. Yeah, um, and I'm a I'm a massive football fan, so the Green Bay Packers are my team, <laughs> obviously. Um, obviously, yeah. Where's the fucking Vikings at, bro? Dude, they are in the dumpster where they deserve to be. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Um, and so, uh, so what I did was on, at the bottom of the package when he gets it. Um, so the big thing about the Pittsburgh Steelers is they have something called a terrible towel. And it's something they all wave at the games. It's been around since like the seventies. It's a big deal. And so he has a lot of pictures on the social medias of like him at the games and stuff. And he's got his terrible towel and everything. Mm-hmm. And so at the bottom of the letter I said, PS, Joe, your terrible towel's looking a little tired. So I got you a replacement. In the bottom of the of the package is a Green Bay Packer towel that, says, oh. that I got from Lambeau Field that says Rise Up. So I'm like, okay, if nothing else, he's going to go <laughs> <laughs> at the top. Guarantee at least that. Yeah, at, at least that. Um, okay, let's let's transition into my uh, – do you want to go back and forth? Or yeah, you, sure, why not? Yeah, you go. You played decent. I played decent. Uh, I played Descent, the, uh, the D&D in a box experience from Fantasy Flight Games. What are the steps? Is it one, get a box? Yeah. Two, a dick, a dick in the box. <laughs> Put your dick in the box. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That would be a great stream. <laughs> Is there a third step to that song? I forget. Um, I think that's it. No, it's cut a hole in a box. Cut God, a hole in a box. Damn it. Yeah. Okay, I forgot it. Was that what you were going for? Did I pick yeah, up on yeah, that? Yeah, okay, good, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you give her the box. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's what it is. And the in the her in the situation is the stream, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, stream. I have a gift for you. Yeah, like you come. I just picture you like coming around your gaming table and you're holding the game, <laughs> but you're holding it right at your crotch. And like someone tries to take it, you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, open yeah, it, yeah, open yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, let go, and it like stays there. It's like, wait, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Such a great Halloween costume back in the day. People did that. You just dress however you want, and then you just duct tape a fucking box on your crotch. Um, okay, right. so tell me about decent. Uh, it's pretty good. Um, would you call it decent? I would. I'd call it the mantra is phenomenal, but I call it the game decent for sure. So I played 
I played KDM. I played this game. I played Aeon's Trespass. I played Townsfolk Tussle. I played Oathsworn. I've played maybe one other one of these like D&D in a box like experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm starting to figure out what about them I like and what about them I don't like. Mm-hmm. And I think some games require you to play a couple rounds to get some extra items to find to get to more challenging bosses for the combat to get like compelling and interesting mm-hmm. like, i don't know if you remember in kdm when we fought the line but we kind of all just got around it and hit it with our stone <laughs> yeah it certainly is uh you 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 start from level zero yes yeah yeah in an aeon's trespass same thing like you are you're like you got you got two dice you're rolling i'm looking for fours and like everyone's kind of just like rolling their fours and that's it um in Oathsworn, not the case very compelling combat system right out of the gate like really fun really interactive and, and awesome characters feel unique yeah get go absolutely yeah that's, like you start with like a mercenary that has like shit already yeah and so that was really cool and in this game in in descent it um it is kind of like a middle ground it's kind of interesting uh, but also kind of just like a pretty simplistic mm-hmm. um and also the app like kind of handholds like way too much yeah. um in Oathsworn. Like you have two phases of the of the round. There's like the story phase, like the plot phase, where the app is like reading things out to you and stuff like that, and asking you where you want to go. And then there's the combat phase, and the app is not used for that at all. It's just like a normal board game for that that period of time. Yeah. Most of them I've played are are that way. Yeah, I like it that way. Yeah, I like it that way too. Um, but like yeah, with this one, it almost kind of feels like. Like the app's kind of like, okay, move your plastic man here and roll four dice. And it's kind of like, you know, I play super complicated board games because I enjoy super complicated board games, mm-hmm. right? I got I don't sit down to play a four hour board game to like have the thing narrate to me what to do. Autopilot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to figure out like I, I like a comment system that's like rich and interesting right away. And I like less app intervention in like my in my experience so descent was was cool i loved how there's like 3d terrain and it like builds up so mm-hmm. there are like stairways and shit what? um yeah so like I, we opened a door and there was like a stairway up into like a platform up to a third floor we were like exploring this watchtower thing for the first mission and it was really cool and also another thing that's really cool is you can make choices for your character as an individual that shapes their experience for the campaign it's not like okay party you've reached a, a fork in the road, go A or B, and it's going to change your decision or it's going to affect your campaign. This is individual characters, forks in the road, kind of shaping their personality. Wow. And so I had a question where it was like, do you want to be like loyal to your, like, your king or fight for your people? And I absolutely picked loyalty to my king, like being an absolute asshole snob, like off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. King knows best. Exactly. Yeah. And so I loved that. That was so cool. That was like like D and D, but uh, in, in a board game experience. Right. Like you're giving you just enough of that character development that it doesn't feel totally two dimensional. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it was pretty good, but there are problems that I had with it. Sure. It's really, I mean, so this is a completely cooperative version of Descent now, right? Yeah. It was the first one not cooperative. No, one person played the Dungeon Master, Ooh. and the other people played... I actually think you'd really like that version of the game. And the other mm. people was the party. And your job was you were against each other. And the, 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 there was rules for the Dungeon Master, what they could and couldn't do. But his job was to kill the whole party. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. And it was it was so fun because like the, the missions were laid out, and so both sides knew the objectives. The Dungeon Master... Had knew all of the resources he had available to him and how he could deploy them, but the characters didn't. 
So they knew they could hear the orcs shouting from down the cave running towards them. And their job was to, you know, like cross the bridge, um, break down the bridge and get away and stuff like that. So there was uh, things that were, were set up uh, set up that way. But like. I quickly learned because I when we played it a handful of times, I played the DM. I fucking crushed them. <laughs> like once I the first time we played, it, it was just like the intro game, and it was fine and trying to figure out the rules. And then I was like, "Oh, okay, game on." I'm like, <laughs> I know how I'm gonna fucking bend this because I know they're gonna go here and I know they're gonna run over here. And then I'm like, "You can place your orcs in these five different locations, starting at these different rounds. You can place them there. I'm like, they're gonna be right there." Fuck you, trapped them. (laughs) Oh, man, they got so mad. I was like, okay. After playing that game like two or three times, I realize now why they made it cooperative. One, it's more more of an appeal to a wider player base. Mm. Two, all the popular board games are going that way. Yes. And three, you can just get pissed at the game and never want to play again. Yeah. And so, and you, you require you to have one person that's, you know, going to be the, the yeah, bad guy. The guy. one person not playing with everybody else effectively. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. And the minis do look fucking good. And yeah. it kind of tie into something we're going to talk about on the main topic today. Why are their minis so fucking good? And so many miniature war game shit minis suck. That's <laughs> quite <laughs> the question. Why? I don't know. I, it doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. We'll, we'll discover. I mean, I feel like I feel like this is an outlier. Having played so many board games and looked at so many miles for board games, they they all kind of live in this middle gray area. They're like C pluses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this one, for some reason, descent is stands out from the rest like wildly. Yeah. Um. So I don't, I don't know what 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 they're smoking over there, but they should keep smoking it. Yeah, I'm all about that. I kind of want like this is the actual of all the ones that I've played and seen. Like Tainted Grail minis look pretty damn oh, good. Oh shit, I forgot about that game. Oh my god. Okay, I need to make a note of that. Yeah, Tainted Grail looks pretty sweet. We want, I've like every time Dan gets another Kickstarter in, which the answer is all of them. He gets all of them. <laughs> I sit and I open the box. And we look through the box. And I mostly just look at all the minis. And that's the only game he's gotten where I'm like Damn, these are good. Obviously, other than KDM, but yeah, um, but yeah, that's just like it's wild because some of the other ones. There's some that are are solid, like uh, the one we're playing right now, Bard Song by Steamforge Games. They're solid. They're certainly more than a C plus. They're like a solid B, um, but a lot of the regular monsters are kind of okay. Some of the goblin and orc sculpts are like really good, and then some of the bugbears are kind of dumb, mm. and then there's some of the bigger monsters are really good. So, but yeah, yeah by and large, I uh, still have to play Bard Song. I have that game. I still have to play that one. I have to play Bard Song, the Dark Souls game, Cthulhu Death May Die, Fallout New Vegas, the Hellboy miniature game, and I think that's all on my list. And maybe I'll add Tainted Grail. Okay. Um, and then I can finish that video. But do yeah, you? Um, go. Oh, you got to Do you play them on stream? I'm like, I'm thinking like. No, we don't. Okay. I try to. What, I, what I'm trying to do is I have someone come over, uh, like on a Friday, who like knows a couple of games, and we get through two or three games in like <clears throat> a five hour like session. Okay. And so it's like I'm trying to be like efficient. I don't want to read the rules and shit like that. Yeah. No, that's really good. Like if we if we set that up after Adepticon, 
I would totally come over and we could do Bard Sun. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, fantastic! That'd be awesome. I know that really well. Okay, awesome. That'd be so cool. So, so I have no, I don't, I don't know anyone who knows that game. Okay, so that, that and, works out perfectly. And that I think you'll really like it because that game is right from the get go. Your character is a hundred percent feels unique. Okay, and but there's so much depth in how you build them out and multi classing. Really, shit, multi classing. So it's like char- there's like trees and shit like that. Spec trees. No, how it works is you. Um, you have abilities, and you every time as you gain XP, you can buy or upgrade the abilities you have. So you can okay. be like, you, you shoot a fireball, or you have this cool teleport thing, or whatever. And as you ex- um, level up, you can not only buy new abilities for your class, you can literally buy any ability for any other class in the game. Whoa, okay. So you're finding the synergies okay. of like, okay, I'm playing a fire mage, but actually that paladin dude has a thing that's called like holy fire where he can't get the burning condition. Well, there's a thing with the fire mage where you can do an AOE around yourself that blows up everything within so many you know, squares away, but it also sets you on fire. Dang. So if you buy that one from the Paladin, then you get all the bonuses of just blowing up a bunch of shit, but you don't get the negative of starting yourself on fire. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So there's just like all these cool things that it's just like, oh, there's a lot of depth to this. And nice. And of course you get gear and shit too. Anyway, yes. let's uh, let's let's move on to uh, what I'm talking about is, is John's week with Vinci V. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as we'll talk about what we painted this week, I spent the last four days painting um, my skeletons. <laughs> it took me four days, and I painted two skeletons. Um, but all throughout this week, I told Vince, I'm like, Vince, I'm going to be at my desk painting eight hours a day for Golden Demon. If you ever want to like hang out, I'm like, just say the word we'll mm-hmm. pop in your discord and one of the days like we had just popped in i had we didn't really tell anybody that we we're like doing this and you randomly popped know, into the was, fucking channel it was so weird it was like hey <laughs> <laughs> i'll fucking see you assholes no i uh i randomly i wanted to ask vince a question i was like i'll just check discord and not use facebook because i normally talk to vince on facebook and then you guys were just fucking there and i was like sick i'll pop in and say hello yeah and then you can have a conversation instead of having 72 messages back and forth. exactly um so yeah like throughout every single day monday through thursday multiple times a day in between his um his meetings and stuff and oh, vince was totally working if his boss is watching if totally working this whole time never was doing miniature painting <laughs> so he was uh he was working on his uh unit piece for golden demon and we just talked about everything we just talked about everything. Everything. You know, we talked about music. We talked about Magic the Gathering. We talked about uh, Golden Demon. We talked about miniature painters. We talked We talked shit about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about life and death. Dude, we talked about life, the meaning of happiness. We talked a lot about, um, actually, before you had come in and you were like, talking about like the the motivation or the you know why you do it vince you've won golden you've won um the golden demon awards before and when you put yourself through this and we had actually talked about that a bit before and then we talked about more later too because that was kind of then on our brains Mm. um about this drive um the the pressure the excitement everything around us there's just like so many like areas that give like um fuel emotions and stuff around it and it's more than just painting something really good because you want to paint something good really it really is and 
And so, yeah, and it just having another person to sit there and chat with when I was grueling my way through shit um, <laughs> was really helpful. Awesome. So. Last thing on the preamble ramble, um, I want to talk to you about Brando Sando. I want to talk a little Brando Sando um, because we haven't discussed yet. Because I know I you were you read or started to read the Way of Kings. Yeah, first four hundred and fifty pages or so into it. First book of the Stormlight Archive. Indeed. Um, and we haven't talked about it yet. And if you say you don't like that book, we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> I like that book. It's so fucking good. It's so good. It's also, it's just like, you kind of like start to think that goblins and dwarves and elves is like entirely what fantasy is. Mm-hmm. And like this guy just has a totally different take on fantasy. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's so refreshing. Cause like everything is like not expected and new. And like, he also talks about like the, people's customs and their way of life in super nonchalant ways. Yes. I'll, like just drop a detail. I'm like, wait, what the fuck? And then they'll come back like a hundred page later and be like more descriptive. Like the, how, uh, women in a certain society cover their right hand. Right. It's just like a really cool, like, okay, that's a thing that I could see people doing in, in certain cultures for whatever reason, religious right. or not religious. And so like these ideas are just super creative and super unique. And it's like, how do you come up with those ideas? And so it's cool. It's really cool. Yeah. And it's not heavy handed. Yeah. Like, it's so weird is because I, I read um, a lot of books. Like obviously whenever he comes out with a new book, I read it and uh, I packed his Kickstarter, the $7 billion or whatever he made on Kickstarter for <laughs> yeah. his different book series and stuff. Um, but that's why I struggle so much with the fucking Warhammer books because yeah. there's a level of elegance in like slowly like sheet by sheet unveiling the world and what makes it unique. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, duh, 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 hits you in the head. But then the emperor, he did all these things and te- <laughs> believe, believe me, they were really cool. And he made these other guys. Yeah, they're all badasses. And it's just like, it's so, I don't know. It's just like watching a ballet dancer and then watching a power lifter trying to accomplish the same task. And just one is beautiful and the other is just, looks like he's going to shit his pants. <laughs> 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 you should do like a the forty k timeline as if it were read by a strong man. <laughs> like, <laughs> that um, so good, yeah, it's so good. And like it that that series, it feels fantasy. It like it it oozes fantasy, but it also doesn't at all. Yeah, it's so odd, and it's following this. And there's so many interesting characters. And obviously, Kaladin is such a great like anti hero kind of a. You know he's he's a good guy, but he's he's done some shit, and he's just been in these weird situations, and and he gets to where he gets to. It's it's gonna be it's it's so fucking. I feel like I want to ask you a question about this story, but I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it yet. But I'm confused about Kaladin and why he is like why he was imprisoned in the first place, because it seems like I, I don't fully understand the story. Yeah, it so it it gets um. Maybe spoilers. Are we doing spoilers right now? Um, sh- well, no, this won't really be spoilers. Okay. So throughout this series, especially in books one and two, they they unveil that. Okay. They explain that, and they'll go back to his childhood. And you'll see it in various parts, and it's very clear, kind of like he sets it up really well with such a few amount of words of explaining where you are in his timeline mm-hmm. and what happens there. And then sometime it'll go 
earlier and then next time it'll go later and so it bounces around in a way that it just doesn't like throw it all on you at once mm-hmm. and so as he wants you to get to know Kaladin's current situation and like his basic like personality and kind of who he is and really establish that and then he goes and he unveils these kind of reasons where you're like oh that's kind of why the way he is now and you just kind of saw him as the character he is today but it, it explains all these moments in his life why he became the way he is and you get it and then from there then you can start to see how he evolves as a character based on the things you're seeing in real time that he's going through okay so it's yeah so you'll see stuff about his childhood you'll see you'll see stuff about his slavery past you'll see stuff about fucking kings and dukes and all those motherfuckers dukes. it's always the dudes in charge right people in power yeah dude yeah that there's there's I the only shard plate dude there's the uh, there's the only slight uh um he see if sill yet yes okay yes yeah yeah, fucking sill. Yeah, that that fucking that sell. that thing gets crazy. That's it. Okay. Oh god. Yeah, we're I'm, we're right now. Kaladin's part of a bridge crew, and now he's starting to really bridge bring, boy. bring his bridge crew together and be a unit. Once you get to the part, bridge you, number four, baby. Yeah, number four. Uh, yeah, and so there's all this like things that like of that 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 part especially like all this stuff with the bridge crew is. In my opinion, <laughs> the best parts of that entire series. Wow. Um, the situations and the really like foundational stuff that happens with that. And like you really get to know these different characters that are part of the crew. Yeah. And some make it and some don't. And you get like get attached to these dudes. You're like, fuck, you guys are gonna make it. <laughs> um Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And then it you'll is. get the you'll get the term bridge boy, it'll start making a sense to bridge you. Bridge boy. Yeah, bridge boy. Oh no. Yeah, you, you, it'll all make sense. It's it's a it's a term of endearment. Okay, good. I didn't think I was hoping there would be like a small child who is part of a bridge crew. <laughs> oh, Cal is bridge boy. Okay, okay. Yeah. So uh, right. it doesn't start off as a term of endearment, but it becomes one eventually. Okay. Okay. okay, so that might be a little spoiler. <laughs> All right, so I, I'm so happy. I want you to keep reading it. I want you to like just you know try to say you know if you do like once a week, I'm gonna sit down and read for 30 minutes on it. If you do that, you'll end up reading more and more because it's such a page turner. All right, um, I can commit to once a week. That's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, gosh, look at all that preamps, rams we got through. <laughs> preamps, rams. Let's talk about what we paint is. Got it? You paint any miniatures? Not really. Do you, uh, I, mean, I got a thing. Why do people say miniature? That word sounds so dumb. <laughs> does it? It does. I mean, and we, I know a lot of people say it, and I'm going to take some heat for this. I think the word miniature sounds dumb. I feel miniature. like when you think about a lot of words, they all sound dumb. Yeah. Like grass? It just sounds like ass. <laughs> with the GR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why don't you go don't you go cut my grass? <laughs> I mean uh, words are weird, man. Yeah. But what's your beef with miniature? It, it word just sounds dumb whenever I hear it. I'm like, that's dumb. I just it's you know, sometimes those things in your ears, they just like they scream at you. That word screams at me. Okay. Um every time. And I feel I think maybe it's because I feel like people are saying it in a kind of a hipster way that that's not how you're actually supposed to say that word. Okay. And like they're going out of their way to say it in a way that sounds more highfalutin. Okay. Yeah. You know, and they probably aren't, but that's how my brain takes it, which makes me hate it more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I might use the word miniature just because if I'm like talking about it in a video, 
I don't want to keep saying the same word over and over again. So I might say model, mini, miniature, or like whatever, just so that I don't say like the same word in like the same like in subsequent sentences. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like I don't like saying the same word multiple yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mini, 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 mini. Exactly. Like, you can say mini a lot. It's one of the few words in in our script writing that I feel like I can say that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Besides that word, yeah. it's like, oh man, I just said. Um, I just said contrast <laughs> sentence before. I can't say contrast exactly, for, for exactly. two more paragraphs. Um, so there's another word that I got. I recently took a lot of heat on um, in a recent video um, where I said Oregon. Um, well, I said Oregon Trail. Okay, in that, that video. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had like you would definitely get shit for that. I got a dozen. I got a dozen or more comments saying it's pronounced Oregon. No, it's not Oregon. Yeah, they they wrote it out phonetically. Is G U N at the end? Gun, Oregon, Oregon, Oregon. I'm just pronouncing it how it's spelled. It's spelled G O N. Gone, Oregon, gone. What if it's like oregano but without the, uh, now I, the end? I feel bad that I don't remember exactly the way they say it's supposed to be pronounced because it was so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking wrecked. Oregon, Oregon. Yeah, it's it's it was where is where is sent to us grito sobre on. Yeah. Did you speak Greek to me? Yeah, <laughs> Spanish. Oh, okay. The accent is on the. Okay. Um, is on the on. I guess you could say Oregon, 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 Gin, Oregon, Oregon, Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, because G O N sounds like Gin. Yeah. Nowhere else in the English language does that compute. But sure. Okay. Sure. Sure. I fucking <laughs> wish we had the Vince button right now, but I don't fucking have it. Uh, all we have is. <laughs> crowd crowd uh they agree crowd, crowd agrees it oregon. is pronounced oregon oregon no. um okay what did you paint <laughs> i uh i was testing some scale 75 drop paint on stream and i was which we'll discuss later in the extended portion of the podcast episode <laughs> if you're a patron you get access to that uh, link below and i painted a gravesite marker and i painted like the base of this descent guy i also painted this descent guy a little bit more during my uh, sepulchral guard meeting this past uh, week. Nothing very impressive. So, um, what's a you have a sepulchral guard like? A th- uh, no, wait, you have a challenge in your Patreon. So yeah, there's a quarterly challenge for the point system to get you extra points, and then the sepulchral guard meeting just meets once a month, and we like just talk about what we painted. Sometimes we have a specific goal. Sometimes there isn't one. Sure. Okay. All right. Let me take a looky loo on this. Um, it looks very saturated. Oh yeah, the, the berserker from Descent is very, very saturated. saturated. I uh, going for a very purple yellow thing, um, like the cream of the the uh, what is it called? I don't know. His like fucking loincloth skirt, skirt loincloth thing has some some warm yellow in it, and then I have like magenta that's highlighted with a, a nice blue, and then uh, some like very vibrant yellow claws that I'm not super sure on if I like. Um, I don't know. They don't. They look kind of a little weird. Um, but there's yellow in his eyes too, so I kind of feel like if yeah. both the claws are yellow and the eyes are yellow like yeah. that, it's kind of like a nice little spot color. I think it works. Yeah. I don't know, maybe instead of the darker parts being basically a, a desaturated color like a black, you go for like a like a green, like a deeper green, like a deeper forest green, going up to the yellow. I think that might might work a little better. But deep forest green instead of yellow. No, no, instead of the, the darkest color where you actually have the black showing through. Oh, okay, okay. Because um, it, it, there's just like a, such a massive stark jump there. Yeah, it really is. Um, I, I tend to go a little too heavy-handed with my recess shading, I think. Yeah. Well, it's not even that. I just think it's the color more than the, the fact that 
it's because you're creating a lot of um, visual um, contrast and, and things popping out really distinctly, which is really important, especially at this small scale. Um, yeah. Just fucking... Just fucks with it. I fucks with it. Um, this fucking guy, I used a drop paint that was like that greeny color, and fucking a, I love that drop paint. It's this like really mild, sagey, bright green color. That's like a. It's like the Vallejo ice equivalent of green, and it's just like it's so nice. It's like a pastel sage. Yeah, it really is. It's super nice. Um, so I, I think I'm going to be using that paint in my arsenal a bit more, but yeah, he's very simple. Yeah. But no, that's, I, I dig that color too. And it's, it seems very eerie. You, people are saying like, well, oh, pastel green for a skeleton. It's like, no, it looks eerie and weird. That on top of blue. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Can yeah. recommend it. Yeah. You're using this for like a gravesite marker. Exactly. Yeah. I think they're the things from Curse City. I, I love those little widgets from Curse City. I know. There's they're so really many fun little things. There is. That box is, remains to be a treasure trove, but you painted something far more significant than this. Yeah. So I, like I said, I spent this week, Monday through Thursday, painting two skeletons. Um, and in the after party, I'm going to talk about the metals. I'm going to talk about painting true metallic metal like non-metallic metal and, and really trying to um, up my game in that regards. But this was what I have. These were my last two skeletons I had to paint for the my diorama. And I decided if I was going to crank them out, I would do it kind of in a what you'd call, I guess, a batch painting method. Now, it's only two models, so batch is kind of maybe an over- exaggeration but what I did was every time I did a step I did the same step on both models so every time I base when I base coated the skirts red then I base coated them both red and then when I did the the first recess shading with like that burnt brown color I did it on both of them and it just I was like okay if I'm gonna keep cranking away and get stuff done I need to find efficiencies because this freaking diorama, you know, it's got like a dozen models on it and I still don't have the base done and stuff. And I got to th find ways to be efficient to finish this. And that was my way to do it. Um, and it it felt a little bit more grueling because each moment of satisfaction of completing a thing, it took longer to get there. Um, especially since I have that strong backlight blue, every surface that you paint you're doing it twice because you're painting it all from the front color, which is the whatever true color it is. In the back, you're painting that same surface again with a totally different color mix and in a totally different way of highlighting um, from the light source. So it felt like everything was a bit of a slog. Um, but yeah, then I did a little freehand on the banner. This guy's at the far back of the diorama, so I didn't want it to be something super eye-catchy and over the top. That is the Legion of Night um Manfred's Manfred's one mostly because it was the most kind of just like recognizable kind of easy to do <laughs> version like I wanted to do Neferatas but it's like a spine in with the shape of a T like the the bottom of the T is like a spinal column and then there's like these two little hook things on top and I'm like one it's really weird and awkward, especially in a, a ratty, torn, not very much space. Wavy banner as wavy well. Wavy banner. It's it's going to look like not recognizable as a shape. Yeah. Um. So 
I love the bright silver edge highlights. What uh, what paint did you use? That is Vallejo model color chrome. Okay, because it's 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 catching light, like yeah, just screams. Yeah, before that, like that's the most satisfying step of that in the entire paint job is, <laughs> is it's like 17 steps to create the armor in what it is and then the final step is that and it's like what this does all the work <laughs> like are you writing down steps no but i have them in my head okay okay it's pretty straightforward actually one key step to the thing is something i freaking took from an og um uh why am i duncan Rhodes warhammer video from way back in the day is um i, I washed the whole thing in agrax earthshade and it works so much because it adds this this grungy brown whateverness to it and and then you and then it add it, it dulls down the metallics so the base coats of the metallics is there's uh it's in uh, aka interactive third gen there's a gun metal which is kind of like a lead belcher, belcher color, and then there's pure silver, which is quite quite bright. Yeah. So the base coats, I kind of, um, I just kind of sketch in any of the parts that were going to be the brighter parts. I put a layer of the silver over top of it. Everything else is base coated in that gunmetal, and so from the get go, you have some of the areas that are brighter that were going to catch more light, and then when you put the agrax over them, it fades a lot of the um, that the kind of rough transition. And it brings back this where would that silver would naturally catch more light. So, I mean, obviously they look really nice. You don't need me to tell you that. Oh, they were so much work. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're they're fun. Uh, the only regret I have is that these two are the two in the back, and the first one I did is in the very front, and I think these two look better than that one because- Oh, uh, because you've practiced yeah, at this point. I've gone yeah. through everything more. One thing I like you did on these ones more than the other guy is that you were a little bit less heavy-handed with the dusty tassels yes. toward the bottom, and I love that. Just a little bit of just a little bit of salt bay right on the tassels instead of going too high with it. Yeah, and I it was much easier this time too. I, simpl I simplified it down. I started with the darker color first and the other time I started too light and so it was kind of me trying to futz with it to, to make it not so much. But yeah. I could certainly go back through with a glaze of the darker color over that lat, that guy again. That's going to come in to like put everything in place, see where things are not looking exactly right kind of a situation. But Are you going to win or what? Are you winning I gotta get it. I got to get it done. I got to get it done. Um, and also, yesterday, the very last thing I did, there's these little rivets that connect because I did. I saved the, the freehand thing for the end and the little rivets that connect the spear to the yes. handle or the banner. I, you know, I painted them the silver. I went through with the agrax. Then I'm like, bing, 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 dum. Yep. I got to that agrax step. I put I opened the Agrax pot, set it down. It was sitting sitting funny when I set it on my desk. And I'm like, oh, it's sitting on something. It was sitting on, you know, those clear little brush tip hold yeah, things. Yeah, It sat on it. I was like, oop, I better move that. And my fucking fumbly finger touched the fucking pot. Yeah. And it was already kitty wampus. And I <laughs> knocked the whole fucking thing over. Oh, no. Thank the Lord I didn't. Because it was a fairly aggressive spill and where like, went a direction too yeah. it went the opposite direction of the two minis that were s sitting right on the other side of it okay. dude if that would have hit those minis i'd be like guess i'm not good doing golden demon <laughs> fuck it. this was after four straight days of painting yeah dude I'm like, fuck it 
<laughs> I I too would have experienced the spooge. Oh, the spooge, dude! I I I pray that on no one, not even my worst enemies. Mm. Uh, well, I'm glad that didn't happen. Uh, it's a rite of passage to spill a GW wash yeah, bottle. Yeah, as far as I remember, I've never done it before. Well, welcome. Yeah, um, I don't know if I've ever done it before, but but yeah, you're in now. It's a brand new pot, fairly brand new. I only used it a couple of times, just on <laughs> Jesse Skeleton's armor. Um, of the new formula of egg rack. So it went mm. from basically full to now it has a third of a bottle left. <laughs> oh, right. Like, ah! bad. Liquid gold. I, I have fucking pipettes all over, too. I'm a fucking idiot. I could have pipetted that. Could got you, a, though, on a flat surface? Well, it's on, my, on my, like my cutting mat thing. Yeah. And so most of it was in a big puddle. Okay. I could have, because when it tipped over, like it sprayed a little bit, but then it tipped over, and then it just kind of like went out. I could have gotten at least a third of a bottle soaked up and yeah. I have a pipette sitting right next to me in my brush thing. I'm a goddamn idiot. Goddamn. Whatever. Whatever. Fine. The sponsor for this episode is Lazy Squire Games with their new 5th edition D&D supplement. Based on the franchise Legend Keepers, a roguelike video game developed by Goblin Studios, this supplement has players taking on the role of the monsters instead of the heroes. Stop rotting good guys from taking loot that is rightfully yours. You can also play the campaign as a normal hero delf. That's more your speed, but everyone knows that bad guys have way more fun. The Legend of Keepers 5e Reverse Dungeon Campaign Book is a whopping 350-plus page tome containing four unique dungeons, 24 playable heroes, 50-plus playable monsters, and 12 notorious monster bosses. The crowdfunding campaign will also offer over 100 STL miniatures based on the heroes, monsters, and traps from the campaign book. Sculpted by Lazy Squire Games, these miniatures will be delivered within one month of the campaign's conclusion in both supported and unsupported STL formats. Check out the all-in Game Master pledge tier to get not only all the 100-plus STLs for the campaign, but also a hardcover campaign book among a ton of other PDF assets. The campaign is also offering over 200 STLs from Stonecraft Dungeon, Lazy Squire Games' new line of 3D printable terrain. Players will be able to use these models to craft expansive and highly detailed dungeons from the Legend of Keepers campaign or from their own fantasy adventures. You can find the campaign linked in the description or show notes below, depending on where you're watching or listening. A big thank you to Lazy Squire Games for sponsoring today's episode. Now let's get back to Tup. All right, welcome to the main conversation for this episode of Top. We're going to be chatting about games and games development. Neither of us have experienced this. No, we have made zero games. Made zero games. So we're going to be doing like a little bit of an imagination experimentation. Yeah. Trying to like trying to think out through the process of what does it take to make a large army miniature war game like there are a lot of skirmish war games on the market today but not many of them are large army ones either sci-fi or fantasy or modern um they're just uh, not a lot of them so we kind of want to go through the process in our brains figuring out what it would take someone to make one of these games and that will likely give us more of a clue of why there is less spoilers it's a lot of work yeah I mean, like everyone else on the internet, we're not going to let knowledge, research, and experience get in the way of our opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that that should be really the subheader of the entire fucking podcast. Yes. <laughs> we're not going to let knowledge and experience get in the way of sharing our opinion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so where do we begin this, Scott? Where is a, a logical place to start? We begin with the lore. <laughs> 
So, okay, obviously, before you start getting down into the nitty-gritty of drawing concept art and sculpting and painting box arts and finding packaging, you have to you have to figure out some kind of detail that unifies your whole your whole thing. Every single one of the big box games that I have discovered have some amount of like lore to the game. And so I, I believe that you could develop that, like what binds everything together in your game, the aesthetic. You could do that in tandem with also rule development. Sure. So before you're coming up with concepts, before you're coming up with like, like you know, what the factions are in my game, what are the names of my character, I think the first thing you do in the creative aspect of the game is probably have some kind of story that unifies your world, like makes sense for like what they're struggling for in the game itself, whether it's just two armies battling or it's like like something else that space rocks. They're space, all after space rocks. All after space rocks, you know, harvesting precious minerals. Yeah. Space rocks uh, and stuff like that. So I feel like there's probably a team of people that start trying to flesh out just the world, not necessarily writing lore to be to be read, but something that kind of just gives everybody direction. And I think a key part of that, a really foundational part, is that you have to take into account what kind of game you're making. In this situation, we're talking about a large, what it, we call it, large scale miniature war game, an That's actual a great war term. game. That's a great term, yeah. Um, and because the the foundation of your world and how how things are happening, why they're happening, who feels what, what are you warring over, has to be on a larger scale, right? It has to be whole nations or whole planets yeah. or civilizations or whatever because massive battles are happening here, right? Right. I mean, you you can't have where it's like this is a small elite squad of seven men that live in the sewers and they're going to take on all of the robots <laughs> like that or like a pit fighter game you know like that yeah. kind of backstory wouldn't work for a large scale miniature war game so there are there are limitations already just based on the scale of the game you want to make yes yeah so you have to you have to build your world build your foundations of uh your story around the fact this is a large scale miniature war game yeah and this is actually and i think this is a really important moment for all games because this is the moment where the brando sandos get separated from the generic fantasy people i couldn't think of an author's name um J.R.R. token uh, because like you you pick here at this stage like what what that's going to look like you have to come up with like like regions in your world like what is what does the world look like are you going to go for the warhammer fantasy battle strategy and have everything kind of look like what our current world looks like, but just kind of a little bit more of a fantasy version, you know, it just or, turned 15 degrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or are you going to go for something that's more like totally unique, a different world, different land masses, different countries, different like ethnicities. Like, are you going to like, how much work are you going to put into this portion of the, of the game? It's like, you know, I think making a, a large scale miniature war game is very similar to making a movie, mm. right? There are so many things that you could work so hard on and develop so much, but you can also phone in some elements. Right. So when watching 80s fantasy movies recently, I've discovered this. I was like, you know, these guys are really good at set locations, at set dressing, making props, making costumes, even having a compelling plot. 
when it comes to dialogue, like the <laughs> characters, like the actual writing. It's fuck ab- all that. It's absolute dog shit. <laughs> like it's like okay, you had enough budget for like the things you cared about, but not for the rest. The same is true of miniature war games. You could totally phone it in right here and just do orcs, elves, dwarves, humans, vampires, and whatever else. Have it look like America and Europe and East Asia. And like have, you know, whatever. Just stuff that was very obviously tied to the current world we live in. Or you could go crazy and really come up with something special and unique. What if you made a game where it was like post-apocalyptic America in every state um, had its own like army militia because everything became state run. (laughs) And like if you live in Virginia, you cannot have... Those podunks from Tennessee invade yeah. your borders. Yeah, yeah. Dude, this is a great game. Like, I mean, the factions write themselves, literally. Right. Yeah, and then state. you just over-exaggerate what that state is known for. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes, dude. Like, the Minnesota people are like the, like the like glacial warriors or something like right. that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, only the craziest, the craziest people, you know, will play the Florida <laughs> Army. Because <Yeah. laughs> that one is, oh boy. But... They're, uh, you know, the thing about the Florida Army is they're you can't predict, you can't predict what they're gonna do. Mm. Like, you, like they're coming at that, and you're, you know, you got your bayonet out, and you're about to stab them, and they just like throw an alligator at you. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? Al- yeah, alligator cavalry, dude. Yeah, alligator and, chariots. Yeah, and then they just shove a meth rock up your nose. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh shit, I'm freaking out. Could you remember? Could you could you imagine an alligator? river boat chariot where it's like a it's like a river boat dragged by a host of alligators dude that's totally louisiana that's fucking terrifying louisiana army is 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 led by riverboat cavalry <laughs> they're, 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 that's their faction distinction they're yeah. all like water like aquatic people yeah and they just they speak in like that cajun accent with like a little bit of french too yeah that whoa i don't know how to do a french a cajun accent um, but the problem with the Louisiana Army is they're really only good if they're going up all the states that are along the Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's the only they can attack, right? Yeah, right, because the river roads are much less effective on land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got tiny little fucking wheels and they like come out on land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah, this is where this episode's going. <laughs> um, I think some part about this is like, you know, you're talking about phoning in. Um, to me, it's more about like, where do you really um, choose to put a lot of your effort and time? Yeah, what do you care about the most? Right. And to me, like having an interesting world or having an interesting lore and stuff, none of that matters if the factions aren't cool and unique. Well, hey, let me stop you right there. Okay. I think it does matter a lot to make factions unique and interesting. Sure. Because it gives you this framework that you can play inside of, right? Sure. So I don't know... I don't know, like maybe you can come up with factions and compelling things without thinking about all the world that it lives in, but maybe it might feel a little disjointed. Yeah, it's kind of chicken and egg. So Kinda, you, yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe it's just how the author's brain works better. Mm. I can say, like, I really want these space lizards. Like space lizards are badass. Mm-hmm. I love this. You know, how would a space lizard work? Well, they figured out, you know, how to work with reverse gravity com- propelled spaceships and their technology allows them to do that and okay what's the world look like that allows us to exist in it exactly yes. um, or vice versa or yeah. here is the state of the universe here's why everything is come to head and why these civilizations that are light years apart whatever meet each other why are they why are they meeting each other what's mm-hmm. important and that kind of stuff so 
I think either or. That yeah. is again, however you choose to to do that that uh, that writing thing. But yeah. So why is this? Why is it so difficult? Maybe I'm maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves in this conversation, but I think this is a real kind of point of this whole conversation is like why is this so hard why is a war game because there's not very many of them out there no there isn't there's a yeah. buttload of skirmish and, and smaller ones yeah like whatever. constantly coming out and we're not referring to uh people that write rule sets for large-scale miniature war games model agnostic games we're referring to companies that like make the whole model range and the rule set and everything yeah it's it's all in one package yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah i think that says a lot about if you really want it to feel unique if you really want the factions to be part of this world and this is how they are um really investing that this is the game that you all should be playing that includes having visual representation you yeah. know that that means miniatures yeah um that's not to say miniatures agnostic games are bad or you shouldn't play them I'm just saying like the investment of really making a thing yeah also like I don't know if this is a fair thing to say, but I don't know if a model agnostic game system is ever going to reach like insane levels of popularity Um, just because it requires a certain amount of work for the buyer to have to really invest and figure out. It's like you have to go and hunt for the, the army that you want. And to some people that's really compelling, but I think the average Joe just being handed a box of space Marines and being like, this is your faction. Like these are your blood angels. This is what you can take. It just makes life way easier. And you can kind of shop and pick and choose like, oh, which space brain do I like? Do I like the red ones or the green ones or, or whatever it is? It just makes life way easier. And yeah. I, think- I mean, think about it. Go into your local store. If you have no idea what miniature war games are or you have no idea about, you know, what these kinds of games, even how they work or whatever, if you got a big wall of sweet ass looking painted models on the front cover of the boxes and you're looking around and you're seeing all of them. Think about that first time buying experience or not even planning on buying, but making an impulse purchase compared to there's a book. <laughs> it's, it's light years difference. Yeah. yeah. You know, and seeing something that physical thing will get you more excited. Yeah. Um, and like to me, the miniatures agnostic games um, their audience are people that already play games. Exactly, exactly. And appealing to beginners is like the ultimate way to get like a huge fan base to grow super fast and like have a very popular product, like across like all creative mediums, right? right. Yeah, because like beginners are the largest like sector of the market and they will always be the largest sector. Yeah, yep. And uh, beginners... People that say, well, I've had stuff for a while, but I haven't really done anything with it. Um, people that are kind of passive players or passively interested. That is like 70% of the market. Yeah. You know, it is like the really passionate grognards of the world. If they love your thing, they will keep playing your thing. But that's probably not going to make you enough money to stay viable. Yeah, it might not sustain you, like especially with a large scale war game like this where you have a lot of expenses seemingly like we're, we're imagining this as a reminder um but yeah so there's probably someone doing doing lore writing but now talking about development of rules and stuff like that 
I don't really know what this looks like in the company's like perspective, but how I imagine it is that people have mechanics from other games they appreciate and they like, and they yeah. have mechanics from other games they don't appreciate and don't like. Yeah. And so you start out in the beginning with this soup bowl of like things that you like and you're like, okay, I need to start killing my darlings here. I need to figure out like what is going to work in this game, what things work together, what things don't work together. And so you start to put together these mechanics, these rules you like from uh, past experiences and from things that, that you like um, that you're starting to figure out. Like for instance, yesterday while writing the uh, Age of Sigmar script that I'm running right now, I was like, what if in a, in a game system that I'm trying to think about, what if you could pay uh, when kidding out a character to reduce the randomness of equipment? So say like, the example I thought of was like Riders of Ruin for the Blood Knights. Like what if like there was a 200 point version of the unit where Riders of Ruin went off on a two up and there, there was a 185 point version of the unit where it went off on a three up and there was a 215 version point of the unit where it went off on a, it did It just go off automatically no matter what, no dice roll at all. Mm. So you pay however many points you see fit to reduce the risk factor as much or as little as you want to, mm. you know? So that, like, that, that was like a, that, that's like an idea. And so I'm, I'm going to experiment with that idea in, in my game that I'm making. Is it good? Is it not? Kill it if it's bad. Um, yeah. so, so, but like, I would love to understand this process like more because I feel like there's way more that goes on in development, but I think, I think it, maybe it starts there. Yeah. I think, I think the things you're talking about are kind of like foundational elements of the play experience, right? Yeah. I want my game to f have a lot less feel bad moments that come down to uh one or two dice rolls over the course of the full game. Right. I want that to not be there. Or I want the wor the the world and how the game plays to feel completely chaotic, but there are so many dice rolls across it that any one or two aren't going to totally swing the battle, right? So you have these like high level clouds of, of spheres of influence that these will dictate the the decisions. So I think that's important is starting with your big blocks or your big boxes and you're finding things to put in smaller things, more detailed things in those big boxes. Um, I think a big problem or a big, a big difficult step for this is the larger your game in terms of number of models, in terms of number of um, things on the table, in terms of the more you do, the more dice rolls will happen, the more decision points there are, the game quickly becomes super complex. And that's, I think, the biggest difference between like, look, you know, GW makes Warcry. Warcry is a really good game. I like Warcry. Why can't they make Age of Sigmar equally as tight and as good as Warcry. Well, you know, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to fit a pumpkin. Where is this going? <laughs> you're trying to fit a pumpkin in the produce drawer of your goddamn refrigerator. <laughs> it doesn't fit. Yeah, There's too much going it's on. It's too much. Well, now if you're like, look, I can sacrifice the milk and, you know, the orange juice thing, and if I take all those from the big main section of the fridge and I'm willing to, to not have those in my fridge anymore, I can fit a pumpkin in there. There's just, there's so much and at scale, the larger you scale it up, the more minutia there is. Right. Yeah. And yeah. some ideas you might have might be legitimately good ideas, but they just don't fit in the game that you are currently creating. And so you have to remove them. Um, so yeah, I'm assuming, I'm assuming there's a lot of that going on. Um, at some point, 
you probably develop like the, like the you start out in that high level area like you're trying to come up with the pillars of your gameplay experience and then you're coming up with mechanics that help to uh, like encourage that kind of those kinds of gameplay experiences so if one of your you know one of one of your desires is I want it to be chaotic and random and appeal to the uh, the Timmies of the world if you don't know what a, who a Timmy is check out Vince's um, Warhammer Weekly, where he discusses the uh, the psychology of gamers. You have Spikes, Timmies, and Johnnies, and we all kind of live in in these three worlds. Um, you might so now that I know I want a game that that applies to Timmies or or is good for them, I'm going to have more dice rolls in my game, more randomness, more more chances for like large risk swinging moments that like you know encourage that kind of gameplay experience. And then probably at some point you get to the point where you have a a, a basic rule set that could use some play testing, right? Yeah, you're using basic little tokens that aren't your final miniatures. You're trying out simple interactions, not entire games. Like if you want to try out, say, like a combat, right? You'll get two pennies and put them together, and, and you'll see what that combat looks like and feels like. And you'll play test elements of your game before getting to the point where you're actually t- testing like a whole gameplay experience, right? Yeah, you're 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 doing these individual chunks. Like, okay, here's what the combat phase looks like, or here's what the deployment phase looks like. And and the bigger your game, there's more of these things. And then, the, again, because there's more stuff on the table, um, each of those mechanics needs to be super tight because there's all these variables that are going to come into play later. Mm-hmm. And that's where things, I think, really get wonky is when you have this ratcheted system, this basic um, kind of skeletal structure, of how your game goes and you're trying to keep it from completely falling off the tracks when you add all these smaller variables. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think from a gameplay mechanic standpoint, why large games seem in general much less um, balanced, universally fair, um, kind of it's always a fight. It's a push and a pull because there's so many more variables involved in it that it's just it's very difficult to maintain some kind of a balance. Um, and the more you want things to feel unique and different factions to feel unique, well, it's not just this one guy in my warband of five guys. It is this faction feels unique because it can do these awesome teleport things. Well, that's an entire army. That is an entire thing that you've given all this ability to. How does that fuck with your underlying rule system? Yeah. And can you find that middle ground, that balance? Right. Absolutely true. So now while people are churning away on the development of the mechanics of the game, trying to figure out the direction for that, you have other people who are now who have flushed out the the backstory of the world, the lore of the thing, or, or are working on designing characters. So you have you have you have concept artists that are drawing up images not only of characters of units, but also like what the landscape looks like. If you've like read through a, any literally any GW book, it is not just drawings of characters. It's also buildings and and flora and fauna. And so you have like this insane large art team. And again, this is not a requirement for large games. Like this is just like a what it can look like, right? Mm-hmm. People are drawing up all this art and stuff like that. And then from the concept models are starting to be developed. And 
I, I don't know if everyone's model development process looks the same as the one that I, I do. And I've only done it a couple times. And I, I know not everyone does it this way, but it's really rigorous and it's really challenging, right? Mm-hmm. And so imagine a unit of 20 dudes, 15 dudes. It's like, are they all going to look unique? Are there going to be duplicates? Like if they're all unique, do I have to fucking go through and review every single model? And like, you know, try to figure out like what details about them I like and what I don't like. And I have to figure out like how is a faction going to aesthetically feel like it belongs together, even though some of the units look differently. It's like, it's really, uh, that is so terrifying to think about how much work that would be going back and forth with artists until you develop a vision for a faction and then sculpt for each individual model to the point where you're like happy and proud of all of them. Like, man, yeah. Yeah, and I think this is leading to what in and you tell me if you feel differently about this that in my eyes is the single biggest thing why we don't see more of these games um that are larger scale games and we don't see a lot of good good ones, no. ones that we have is we're talking about a lot of people yes it needs to be a lot of people this is not three dudes make a game and you make a your own version of 40k with fucking 10 factions this is dozens of people because you need to have a whole art team you need to have a whole sculpting team and those teams work together right but they still in you need to have structure where not every single question goes up to the the person in charge you need to have management structure you need to have people that are uh working on all the advertisement side of things like this is a full company and that means a lot of money. Yes. And we're not talking about making a million dollars on Kickstarter. I don't, that's not nearly enough money. You don't think you could bankroll a game with a million bucks? I feel like you totally could. Mm, no. What, no? Are you, what are you paying these people? I don't know. I mean, if you're paying them 10 bucks an hour, you could make, can you get the whole thing done in a year? Because our money runs out. And then you need to have enough money to actually produce right right because that million dollars is not just to have the people do the work it is to actually produce the things yeah and so what is your stock going to look like how much how much how many minis and books and everything can you make for a half a million dollars right so yeah we're jumping ahead a little bit yeah you can start to see the runway is insanely long uh or it could be insanely long for a game like this again people make games for for large for large scale armies and they 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 skip some of these steps a little bit and and they they know they don't care as much about certain elements as others so they spend less time less money less energy on those those elements but anyways like so here's a question for you how many factions does a large scale war game need to come out with to be like a reasonable amount it's not two no it's not four it's not six not it's not four no it's not four it's gotta be six yeah i think it's more than that no fucking way i don't six is totally legit i don't care about the game if i don't feel like what i pick is unique and i think a lot of people feel that way what are you saying then what are you saying um okay so you can you can you can trick with this a little bit so and you can do the old space marine chaos space marine treatment of this right (laughs) okay okay, yeah where space marines that's one faction don't bullshit me it's one fucking faction you just painted (laughs) them a different color and this this dude is got a little extra roby thing or this this faction has can do this kind of a gun or whatever that's one faction i'm sorry it is um but you could do that right you could have six but 
the main good guy one has all these subsets or whatever, which is just what fucking color you paint them. <laughs> and then the main bad guy one, you know, is it's got all these different ones. It's just what color you paint them. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. So you could maybe do that. But I, honestly, if you're telling me like new big box game, everyone's hyped about it. There's all this stuff on the internet. People are doing videos about it, blah, blah, blah. And it's six factions. I'm like, nah. Really? I'm, I'm not interested. I know plenty of people that might be. Fuck. That's, I mean- that's the scary thing to me is that that's why I freaking love Warhammer is there's so many options. And I don't know if that's healthy, <laughs> but that's that's how that's just my opinion. Yeah. My opinion. No, I want I, I want eight to ten. Okay, okay. Like if I had ten, I'm like, okay, these fuck these guys are they're so fucking serious, right? Yeah. There's ten. Fuck. They don't even need to be like massive ranges where it's like fifteen different unit options and 10 different hero options. It doesn't have to be all that. But there also needs to be the promise that we're going to get there. But at least to start, like, I don't know if, unless there's like angel investors going on, a large scale war game is going to come to market with eight factions like done and dusted, no. right? I, I think that's, that's a key right here. In my opinion, I don't think it should. I think you should have to have a sizable investment, even if you're going to Kickstarter. Let's say you go to Kickstarter and you make $3 million on a Kickstarter. First of all, you're not going to make three, $3 million unless you had a lot of people doing a lot of work to make that Kickstarter look and feel amazing. So how are you paying those people for the six plus months leading up to that? You're bankrolling it because you're rich. Yeah. You need an investor. You need somebody that's willing to put it up. And that's why it's more often than not, these are coming from the big companies. Very few right, right. from established big companies. They're right. not coming from... I mean. Uh, an example of an exception of this would be Mini Wargaming Dave partnering up with that small company to make Ravage Star. But that Ravage a, Star that was a game. It's a game. I did not know that. Asterisk. Okay, that's their plan. But they just came out with proxies for Chaos Space Marines. Everything is a one to one proxy for for Warhammer, and that's how they got the the amount of money they raised on the crowdfunding. Right. But it they they've got more factions that are coming and, and they're they're fleshing it out. They right. he recently did a video um about like the next steps for them, which is a really interesting video. Uh, we can put a link down to it below with something like how I made a million dollars on a war gamer a war game or something. Yes. Um but awesome. But uh it's a really well done kind of quick snappy video. But um that's that that feels more the the exception also the focus for that was not making the game from the get-go people that get that kickstarter it's not it's not through kickstarter but whoever else it was through um when you get your shit for backing the 1.1 million dollars they made you're not getting a game you're getting models right that there is there might even be the war scrolls or whatever some cards or stat, something in there stat stats in there but you're not getting a game we're talking about launching with a game and um that is that is unique and that is coming for the market that that people are already invested in and right so that's a creative way to solve the problem that that we just discussed maybe some some might say that dave piggybacked off of an existing ip to sell models for his game that was coming out in the future, but to bankroll it right now, the aesthetic of his game aligned with 40K so the point where people could proxy the models. He can make money, fund his future endeavors, create more 
I don't know if he wants to make more unique stuff or whatever he wants to do. I don't really see a problem with whatever he wants to do. Right. Um, but that, that was a creative solution to the problem that we're suggesting where Dave as an individual plus however many employees he has can now make a large scale miniature war game. So I feel like what we're saying can feel like doom and gloom right now. It's like maybe someone out there has like a dream to make a large scale miniature war game. And it's like, oh, I'm never going to have a million dollars be able to do this. It's like, well, there are definitely creative ways to start out. I'm also, not, I'm, not, I'm also not saying that creating a rule set initially wouldn't be a, a terrible stepping stone. You know, that, that might be a great stepping stone for someone who is like low or no budget, you know, got, yeah. got that going on, right? You're going you're gonna to need that eventually, and that will give you direction. It'll give you confidence. It'll give you things to build off of. Or like a roadmap, right? It doesn't even need to be like in this situation with, with Dave. It doesn't need to be the first product that hits the, sh- the shelves right. or hits the, the audience, but it can still give you where you know the direction that you need to to make future decisions absolutely and i will say i hadn't really thought about it this way until you just kind of push it that way they had a very creative solution to the issue the main issue i'm i'm thinking of here which is people and money yeah and that is to hit it with a thing that will get you the money that can then get you the people that can allow you to then build the thing you want to build exactly um which is smart. Plus, all the thing that you're giving them is um, going to be used for that final thing anyway. So they, there's a little bit more of a buy-in for potential bu- potential backers to back this game. Yeah, like Rivenstone, for instance, they sold some of the characters from the factions in Blisters before they became like characters and members of units in the game itself. Mm-hmm. And you could absolutely do that. You could sell individuals and make money to, to kind of keep some, some cash flowing during that development cycle. I will say, uh, I don't know if you can do that to a high level of success if you are not blatantly going after 40k or age of sigmar proxies i don't think there's a large enough base of people just buying shit you can still make money well, for D related things or ML, whatever emil ran a kickstarter and had wild success over generic characters maybe that's because he was painting focused i know but still like those could have been characters in a in a, in a game in the future right couldn't they have been sure yeah, or like there's tons of Kickstarter campaigns that just sell just models, right? And they have some fucking lore attached to them, and you can even have like the lore of your game attached to your campaign where you're selling models that will eventually be in the game, but they don't they're not packaged that way yet, right? Right. Yeah, I mean I don't think $350,000 is going to do it. Right. No, you're right. It yeah. isn't. Maybe it's going to like start up maybe like your three-person team. I don't know. Yeah. You got to start somewhere, right? Right. You Not everyone start starts somewhere. with a company. You, no, you need to find a rich motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> that loves this shit, that loves your idea. Ideally, they're old. They don't have kids anymore, and they're just like, yeah, here you go. Maybe they're senile. Two, $2 million. Make it happen, Cap'n. Yeah, if they forget that you took money and you just take it again, don't say anything. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't probably do that. But, <laughs> I mean, you could. <laughs> Listen, they'll get it all back once you, you your all those boxes are on the shelves. <laughs> yeah. So to me, the when we're talking about why aren't there more options, why aren't there better options? It's money. This thing, it's it's a, such a hard nut to crack to get over that massive tidal wave that is Games Workshop because they have You don't su- have to get over Games Workshop. That that's a that's a misconception. I I don't know. 
There's so let's let's, let's talk about it. Let's, okay. What do you have to do to be successful? So first of all, we're still in concept drawing, but we can we can fly through this because so it's basically like concepts. Okay, sculpts. Okay, sculpts are good. Check. Okay, engineer the sculpts to be cut up for casting. Okay, they're engineered. They're cut up. Okay, make the mold. Okay, great. Cast the models. Okay, great. Made the packaging. Okay, great. Done. All right. That that was five steps that will take you. A long time. Two years. <laughs> and for, a fuckload of money. <laughs> for, for six factions, okay? That will take forever, yeah. okay? All right, we're done. We got boxes. We got packages. They look beautiful. They're going to get bought. How the fuck do we get people to play our game? Right. See, this is the interesting thing. People talk about games like A Song of Ice and Fire, and like, oh, I love that game, but no one plays it in my store. And so I don't want to play it in my store. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is how the fuck do you get that first person to be an advocate for your game and bring two armies to a store to teach people how to play? Like, how do you encourage people? Now, not only do you, how do you encourage stores to buy the game and pick it up, but not, but how do you encourage people to buy it off the shelves and play it to create a community in your area? I think the answer is, what the answer isn't is just give the box away for free at conventions because Simon <laughs> has been doing that. That doesn't seem to work. No, they gave Song of Ice and Fire to like two thousand people. Well, I would say that Adepticon. game was. You wouldn't say that game was working right now. Again, I just, I, I, I don't know close enough to know its its numbers to know. I well, mean, it's it's probably working uh, well enough to where it's making a profit. It's under the umbrella of a massive company that doesn't need it to do everything because there's wings of that company that keep it up, right? So the the name in the market of CMON, the reach of CMON, the money that that organization already invests in marketing and advertisement that's not coming directly out of this three-people team that's making Song of Ice and Fire's budget. So they have a lot of things going for them that don't you don't have the luxury of if you're not if the game isn't made by a company that's already well known in the market i think there are more than three people working on song of ice and fire well when i'm what i'm saying is if you and i started a game song of ice and fire and we brought it to market mm -hmm. um there are expensive we would expenses we would have that are not coming out of song of ice and fire's budget Mm. for CMON, okay. right? Be, and exposure and all the other benefits of being a CMON game. Right, yeah. Right? So earlier you mentioned marketing, right? Yeah. I think I think this this question starts there, right? You need to have some kind of marketing team to be able to push the information to people like where, they, where they're at on YouTube channels, in magazines they're subscribed to, in books they're buying, like what, whatever it is. Like you want, you need visibility, number one. Yeah, you, right? need, to, you need to take out advertisements on, mm -hmm. the, on Facebook mm -hmm. and on Instagram. Mm -hmm. and on advertisement opportunities for banner ads on like element games website absolutely and uh board game geek and all these things like you need to go where your people are you need to have an outreach team that is boots on the ground outreach team that supports local game stores absolutely right absolutely and let you know guide them help them send them free boxes set up help them set up game experience nights all those kinds of things yeah it doesn't matter how good your game is if nobody knows it exists. 100%, yeah. You need to get the game out there. And I think the thought that I'm not going to beat GW in one year, in two years, in three years, so why bother trying? I think that is a bad thought to have because they got here 
in 30 years, right? right? Yeah. So it's like in no fucking world are you going to compete with them in five. Right. You know, so like I think some level of success and relevancy is like a, gr- a good like metric for I'm on the right I'm on, I'm on the right path. I'm getting, I'm finding success. I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing, but it takes time and work and like, you know, endless work. Right. So it's not just like I had a good, you know, crowdfunding campaign. People bought the game. I made the things they asked for and now I'm going to sit on my hands. Right. Yeah. No, now it's like, it's time for faction number nine, bitch. Like you, you, you are going, you are developing the rules. You're creating seasons for the game that make the rules compelling and interesting. So people keep playing it and don't just stop and stagnate. Like, yeah. like it's not over yet. It is a constant thing. And that's where board games really separate themselves from miniature war games. The development cycle doesn't really end when that first box hits the shelf. Right. 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 Yeah, that is a massive thing. And probably another reason, I would say it's safe to say, is another reason why there's not very many of these big games. Mm -hmm. Because you can make a really good board game with miniatures because it's the hot thing right now. And when you launch that and it gets funded and everything is put into the cardboard boxes and shipped off to people, you wipe your hands clean and it's like, we made the money we made and we can go on to the next thing that will make more money. Right. This is a like, this is what our company does is makes this game. Yes. Un- until we go out of business or until, you know, I retire a bazillionaire, right? One or the other will happen and that's how it needs to go. And that is such a massive thing is that people need to feel that their game is always adding new things the game is alive, not only alive in the communities, but alive from the company, right. from the the communication, from their own, like the company has their own YouTube channel. They have all the updates on their website. A Discord server where people can yeah. pop in and ask questions to. It's all these things where it, it, it feels like it's momentum is it's always moving forward. It's always moving forward. And they're like, oh, we've listened to your feedback. Here's an FAQ update. We've do whatever. And it's all easy to consume and it feels clean and it feels like everyone can be on the same page and it's not hidden in white dwarf articles and it's (laughs) um yeah and so there's there's totally the the on the plus side of this where you're, you're right you do not have to beat gw for your game to be successful and you can also look at the things that are hindering gw that you wouldn't have to hinder you and that is the massive bloat of the size of the organization. Yeah. And what what is considered success for you can be considered a failure for them. And you can make really good money and keep your game alive and keep it moving. And new players start every single week and that stuff can happen for you. And they wouldn't allow that because of the, the bottom line, what their numbers need to be. Right. Um, and, and that's an exciting thing. Yeah. I think that's, that's absolutely the reality of it. Um, but people don't do it because it's really fucking hard. It takes a long time and it takes people who are really dedicated to the idea, right? Because like when you start that process, it is going to take years before the game comes out in like a physical way that like you imagined at the very start. Yep. And so like to find a team of people that are impassioned in a similar way to you to find uh, the money to be able to fund that process, like it requires, it requires some creative thinking and some real people that are going to be there, you know, for the long haul, right? You don't want to like start with your like your head 
uh, artistic director who is like driving the ship for like the aesthetic of your whole world drop out a year and a half in and it's like well fuck now I gotta find someone new to kind of steer that ship and steer the direction of like the design of like my whole game yeah yeah it's rough it it can't be I mean it can be a passion project for you but it can't be a passion project for all these people needed to make it a reality it Mm. needs to be a career yeah because yeah that's true you can't rely and it's not that they're bad people you just can't rely on people that you're not like you need to work on this 40 hours a week and I will pay you to do that. And that's where I think that com- certain companies are positioning themselves and we're seeing really interesting things right now because the miniatures market is growing and it's sizable now where companies are kind of positioning themselves where they have certain resources. Um, and I'll say, I think Broken Anvil is a great example. They have all these wonderfully talented, interesting people on staff how can we utilize those people to do something different, you new or unique? And that's like, oh, we're going to make Rivenstone. We have all these awesome people. We need a couple new people, right? We need um, the the people that are writing the rules, that are playtesting everything, all that. But we have all the concept artists. We have all the sculptors. We have all these wonderfully creative people and, and people in the build a, um, a market for their brand. And they're not the only ones that are doing things like that. No. It, like you have a foundation and some of the stumbles that you're going to have is like sheer quality people with the skill set for this. Um, you're going to need those. To do that from scratch, um, I yeah, I, it comes back down to it. You need to you need to have a big bucket of money. Yeah, but there you go. You actually just described a way that someone could do this without needing a bucket of money in the beginning. It's like, what if the first thing you did was started a Patreon that sold STLs month after month? And those pa- those STLs eventually went on my mini factory and sold for one-offs, but they eventually became sculpts for units in your game, yeah. right? But you didn't know that, but you were developing them over the course of whatever, two and a half years. And then eventually you have four factions worth of designs that you can now start molding and casting in a real either it's like liquid and liquid injected plastic or it's it's resin and you have boxes of models and they kind of they kind of did that I, I think not entirely i think their dungeon delver stuff was more related to their patreon and then mm-hmm. rivenstone was kind of a separate thing altogether mm-hmm. um, but you could you could start out that way and make money while developing your concepts and 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 also your game i think um, they found aesthetics and factions and kind of working through the creative process through a lot of their fantasy stuff that ended up being that mm-hmm. they found through trial and error and through trying to find a unique aesthetic design that works mm. and that really screams um, this is this faction that they they didn't have to get it right in the very first. Oh yeah, time. no, they, they, can they definitely nailed that. Yeah, can evolve, um, and that that kind of leads me into um, what I think is our other major thing here is. It's twofold, but it's one and the same. One, this needs to scream unique. It doesn't mean that, like, well, in my game, the orcs all have three heads and tails, but it it needs to have something that on the shelf or scrolling through Kickstarter or whatever jumps out at people and says, oh, what's that? Or, hmm, I think I want to click on that or I want to pick up the box or whatever. It needs to, it needs to be compelling. Um, and that can be through both art and through miniatures. But this is where we're going to dig in right now is 
Let's talk about the fucking miniatures, dude. It's all about the goddamn minis. Yes, let's talk models. So John and I have a theory about miniature war games, and it comes from just looking at the market and looking at who is succeeding the most and drawing a conclusion from there. So it is a theory. Not sure if it's the only way to succeed in the large-scale miniature war game, but what is that theory, John? If your models aren't awesome, your game's not going to sell. Simple as that. Yeah. I feel like it, it, all, it derives from this this thought that people who play miniature war games are at their core collectors, right? Mm-hmm. And they want cool shit to show off and to play with as well. Yeah. They don't just want an awesome game. They also want awesome toys to play with that game. And also, there's just this visual appeal, appealing element to, to it. We, we discussed it earlier with beginners, right? Mm-hmm. If a beginner walked into a game store and they were handed a box of Space Marines or a sick-ass rule book... I think the average person is going to be inclined toward the physical models, right? Yeah. Like the, the the action figure-esque thing. And so just by that assumption alone, the the the, the model is going to have way more impact on on your audience than than the game it will. And so you need you need solid fucking awesome models yes. to, to win. Yeah. We it, think and I think that it's a, it's a big part of that instant gratification side of it too, yeah, right? Yeah. A a rule book doesn't give me instant gratification. No. A box of swamp bogglers does. <laughs> you know? I need Debatable. them bogglings. Debatable. Yeah. I mean, not maybe not specifically swamp bogglers. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think this afternoon I've got to go and stop. And I've got to pick up a Gazgul Thraka. You, you got to. I got to. You have to. Um, okay. Yeah, I actually do with for a video that the sponsor's asking me to paint that. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yes. But... <laughs> That's way more exciting to me. He's like, I get to go buy a new toy. He's yeah. like, oh, I get to go buy a new book. Yeah. Right? You only get the books for the fucking Warhammer games because that's how I make my toys do cool shit. <laughs> that's the only reason. And we all fucking gripe about it. Yeah. I got to buy a fucking $50 book to play with my toys. I don't want to buy the book. Why yeah. you make me buy another book? I already have. See, I have this book. It's already for this faction. See this book? I already own it. I already bought, gave you $50. Oh, it's last edition. Yes. I got to buy it again. It's last season's GHB. Okay, yeah, you need so the next one. I need to do that again. I got to do that again. And that doesn't mean people should have all their rules and all their books be free. I don't necessarily feel like that's like that's the answer. But the the core emotional response that we all have is going to be true throughout. Is the thing that excites us is buying the cool toys and maybe buying the paints to make our little man with blue pants now be man with gray pants you know what i mean like that's that's how we get excitement is from buying <laughs> yes and so, also let's distinguish here a quality cast is not the same thing as a quality model right you can have beautiful casts but what makes a wonderful model that looks cool and paints up well is not just it's high quality and looks crispy yeah right? and this is an arms race we're talking about like you don't have to beat GW to be successful, but there is something you do have to stay where you can't compromise, and that is they have set an expectation of how fucking cool models can be. Yeah, yours don't need to be as cool as theirs, but they can't be that far behind. If your models look like they're from 2005 or 1993, okay, I, I, I don't know what to fucking tell you. Gluck. No one's gonna buy your shit. Unless they're from that era 
and are used to that style of model and might maybe have nostalgia for it or like uh, or just like it because they never moved on. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Right. I like vintage models. I appreciate them as well. Yes. I'm not going to buy an army of vintage models though. Uh, again, maybe it's a personal preference, but like if if your fucking box looks like it's from 1996 and you gets and it gets put next to something else at a game store and a person walks in who's never seen the shit before. Again, we're really thinking about the, the perspective of the, of the beginner right yes. here. And they see those two boxes. What are they going to be inclined toward? What is 16-year-old Timmy going to be inclined toward? The cooler shit, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you see a box from, I don't know, Frostgrave. Because Frostgrave sells like barbarians and stuff. Easy to pick on Frostgrave yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So if I see Frostgrave, a box of models, and I see... I don't know what's a uh, space wolves next to them, a box of fucking space wolves. I mean, that's that's sci-fi and fantasy, but whatever space wolves are in, in Age of Sigmar, I don't even know. <laughs> do they even have that? I don't think so. I don't think they do. A they frost should. barbarian. They should. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, they're not picking yours. They're just not. And the thing is, is Games Workshop's games aren't the best i don't even know this i'm gonna say this with zero percent certainty but i would put a large amount of money on it they're not the best games yeah. in their genres probably not even top three i mean maybe because there's just not that many out there <laughs> but they're not the best but they don't care it doesn't matter it dude. doesn't matter it the thing is if your models are awesome if the art style is awesome if it, it's it's distinctual and it urges people to buy the thing and then your rule set is tight as fuck and you're just like oh it's a great game now you're off the runway now you're beating gw baby now you're off the runway but if your stuff looks like derpy like army men poses that have no movement no action the proportions are all fucked the faces are all weird like it's just not gonna work. It's yeah. not gonna work. Now, if you make one of these games and you're, you're you kind of feel like maybe you're falling in this category, take half of the budget that you have for rule development and anything related to gameplay and just give it to your art team. Yeah, just just, just do that right now. Yeah, we need <laughs> just, better three D sculptors. Just fire the the rules writers. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, they gotta be cool. The box needs to be poppy, and the you know. And for fuck's sake, show the models on the front cover painted up and looking pretty. Do not show me this Malifaux fucking art of what the model kind of looks like in the back of the box is a 3D render. Go fuck yourself. It's so obvious, bro. Like, why would you make it as easy as humanly possible for someone to see what they're getting and be excited about it and buy it? Yeah. If you hide it behind shit, you just make it that much harder. Like it's just it's, it doesn't make any sense. I don't. Yeah. I never understood it. Yeah, there are a tons of of companies out there. I'm not shitting on Malifaux because of quality of their sculpts are bad. I think a lot they're of Malifaux models are fucking solid. Yeah, have the whoever paints their their shit. They have, don't. I don't think they have a box artist. Well, there you go. Put your money into that shit. <laughs> Not Malifaux 2.7. I don't give a shit about that. I want the models on the front to look but badass. Yes. I don't want to be have to like dig out my phone and Google the name of this model and find and hope somebody had painted it cool on the internet. Go through your shit ass website. Yeah. And just and and then only find 3D renders. What's with fucking games having shit ass websites, bro? I don't know. I don't do it again. It, you want visibility on your product, not just in the game store, but large, also largely on the internet. Because not the, probably the vast majority of your potential audience is not going to have access to a game store, right? They're going to have access 
to online. Like this is this is the Amazon age of buying shit, right? So it needs to be online, and just like in the game store, it needs to be easy to see, easy to browse, and like people need to find what they like fast. Yes. If they can find it faster, they can buy it faster. The longer it takes, the more they're gonna click away and say, "Get the yeah. fuck out of here." Yeah, if that if that landing page isn't like equally as like atmospheric and cool. And it looks like just like your models look like ninety six. That website looks like ninety six. I'm not exaggerating I'm gone here. Instantly, I'm gone. Yeah, most of most of these websites do look like that. Yeah, they dude. are bad. Go to go to North Star Figs, the company that makes models for a lot of uh, Oathmark, a lot of a lot of Osprey games. It's fucking rough. And the, there are some solid models on that website, but who the fuck's gonna find them? No, nobody, yeah. bro. Get on fucking Shopify. <laughs> Pick literally any fucking template. Okay, now we're yelling. Sorry. <laughs> any template, and it will blow that shit out of the water. And it'll cost you 10 bucks a month. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? All right, I'll stop uh, raging now. Yeah. No, yeah. I, yeah, we should probably, we, we might need to pause the podcast now so I can go on Mears Miniatures website <laughs> and find some sweet ass minis. Because <laughs> it's going to take me fucking 30 minutes to find them. Oh, my God. It's so fucking hard. Bro. And I can't even tell what they look like when I find them. <laughs> Squarespace is not expensive, dude. And it looks fine. Like, just, dude, like, come on. Modernize. We need, we need to get Squarespace to sponsor episodes. So the whole thing we talk about in the ad is, hey, motherfuckers, you make miniatures? Get this shit because your stuff looks like 1996. You have a fucking bunk-ass website from fucking 1995? I got great, great story for you. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, you have all this awesome art in theory is what we've talked about. All this awesome art that you have paid for to to be part of your game, your website should just like look like that sweet ass art, man. Yeah, dude, a hundred percent. Like, what the fuck? This yeah. is. I mean, it's 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 so simple for us to talk about. It really is. But it is. I mean, the website thing is is completely bullshit, right? Like that. <laughs> that's everyone should fucking do that. This is not like us giving you innovative ideas here. But the model thing. Is one of those things where it's easy for us to talk about, but like that is a thing that you have to really invest in. You, you have to really find great people, right? Yeah, you have to really make it work. And I think there are some great examples of smaller companies that do this. Um, I, I think of Corvus Belly. Now they don't make a full war game, and so they have the benefit of like keeping it tighter, keeping it smaller. They can be a little bit more niche. Um, but those models are fucking cool and they're unique. And like, I see a model from a faction from infinity. I don't even, I could not even know if that faction existed. I did never seen that model or any model of that faction before I, you show me a picture of it. I will be like, that's an infinity model. Cause that is aesthetic design based in your universe that people feel that's really cool. What is that? It's like un, it's like almost undefinable. It's like yeah. how do you define that? It just it, it just it just feels a certain way. Like a forty k model feels a certain way. Infinity feels a certain way, and that comes from really really good art direction. Yeah, and just like staying on top of what your design motifs are and having that run throughout the entire range. Yeah, you know, it's like really special. Yeah, and again, that is this is a priority. This is what we are investing in. This is what we are going to really make sure we have like like tight as a d dolphin's butthole. Like this is going to be watertight. <laughs> this art direction is going to be keen. <laughs> 
And if you don't have that, don't even start sculpting anything. Don't even bring a 3D artist into the fucking room yet because you need that initial art direction to be tip top. Tip top shape, baby. Yeah. I mean, you could you could show me a random screenshot from a video game and I would I could say that's a World of Warcraft. Because that's an aesthetic design. Yes. That is unique. Yes. And even though it's all orcs and fantasies and elves, it's still it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because like the the filter over top of it is like is style. And yes. that style is like it's quantifiable. You you can see it and you can feel it. Yeah. Like I haven't played World of Warcraft in twenty years, but you show me a screenshot from the new expansion and doesn't even have any orcs or humans or night elves in it. If it's just like a random new boss monster, I'll know that random new boss monster is from World of Warcraft. Yeah, because that you're you're just you have this foundation that's so defined that allows you to get funky with it, and it still feels in the same world. Yeah, so we just that's all we're asking is we're just, solving all your problems right don't now. Don't fuck it up anymore. Just spend just spend six million dollars and hire twenty staff and make the goddamn game. Okay, it's so yeah, fucking easy. Dude. I know, and there are games that are close, <laughs> or there are games that. I need to maybe give a second look to or, or games that I think that like they're really coming for it. Like, you know, we think of conquest. We think of other games. <laughs> I can't you got, you got Mantic Kings of war. You got badlands from Mieris miniatures. You have, there's a lot of, and we're, and that, that, that's just fantasy ones. I was looking at fantasy, large scale figure games yesterday. And like, I wasn't even looking at sci-fi ones. So there are, I would say there's like a solid 10 in there that are, again, they're doing that 80s fantasy thing where they care about three-fifths of the development cycle but not the other two-fifths. Um, maybe they're focusing their efforts on things that are less important or maybe they're trying to ride on the coattails of GW way too much instead of mm. coming up with their own unique aesthetic. Um, yeah, the, a lot of small problems in that process. So again, it's fucking hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And so there aren't many. And the ones that do exist are missing uh, chunks of things that I would love for them to have. I would love for Game Games Workshop to have a solid rule set for Age of Sigmar that I enjoyed. Uh, not necessarily for me, but I would, I would love that. I would love Mantic to have a, a faction that I would love to play. But they don't have that. Maybe the game's fucking amazing, though. I don't fucking know. I'm not playing it, though, because I don't like any of the models. None of them speak to me. They don't, they don't say, this is a faction for you, Scott. So, I don't fucking know. It's hard. I just think that someone should just do it. Just the <laughs> just do it. It's it's not it's it's really hard so someone else should do it. <laughs> <laughs> I would never start a, if I had to make a game and I'd love to make a game. I would never start there. I would start with a skirmish war game 1000%. And mm-hmm. maybe that would grow into something else in the future. Um but I would love to see more large scale war games though. More. I know. Like yeah, there's something about it, it's like it's like two different itches like one is an itch on your butt and one is the itch like on your armpit and like the butt itch is like oh i got this tight little seven dudes and i i, I kind of <laughs> I, I customize them or i paint them a certain way each one is painted uniquely different they don't look all samey same all the same and i have this little box and i take this little my little carrying case to the store and play this game and i could get a gate i can get in three games in two hours that's a that's a nice butt itch right there mm-hmm. but that armpit itch like that is a look at my masses. 
It feels good. It feels different. Yeah, and it's like, oh, this guy's riding a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex, and there's my little unit of pterodactyls, and here's my little <laughs> chameleon fuckers with their blowguns. Oh, God, it's so cool. Like, all of them, all of them is so cool. And, like, I can keep painting more and buying more, and then I can throw them into a game or I can try them out. You know, it's just so much more fun. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the last thing I want to talk about is we, we mentioned it briefly. We didn't really describe it at all. You got your game. How do people play it? How does it get in the game stores? Very, very briefly, because I only have a very basic understanding of this, is one, you have to start talking with distribution centers. There are, there are two types, and they each take a different pay cut. And so one thing you need to do is you need to figure out your expenses, what it costs to make a box, and then you need to price it accordingly such that when you get to these distribution centers and they take their cut, you are still making money. Cause that's good. That's a good business. Idea. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's something that I didn't think about when I was like, for instance, pricing, like maybe my, my brush coffin or pricing my cutting mat. I was like, Oh, this is enough money for me based on what the shipping cost, based on what the material cost is. But I didn't factor in these other things. Right. So you have to, th- you have to think about that. What do distributions take? What do stores take? Stores take less than distribution centers because obviously the center wants to make money after the game store buys it. Right. And so they, they mm-hmm. need to take like that, that middle 10% for the product. Right. Okay, so there's that, okay? And then now it's in the game store. How people play it. You reach out to people who, who are interested in your game and have them become advocates. Say you got a Discord server. People are in that Discord server. You, you, know, you have like 15 people who are fanatics. For some reason, just the, the game just speaks to them insanely. You send them free shit to run tournaments, to give away prizes. They, they're, they're like, holy fuck, I love this. They don't need money. They're insane, okay? <laughs> they, run, they run your tournaments. They hand out your prizes. People see the game being played. They want to play it more. Like so, you need to support the community that wants to play your game with like the things that they're enthusiastic about, right? And then hopefully from there, it just grows and grows and grows. But yeah, having your feet on the ground, going to every convention under the face of the sun with your game, getting a booth, running demos, getting that visibility—it all, it all, it all matters. Yeah, I think to take something from the Magic: The Gathering world, yeah, is Friday. So they have. Friday Night Magic, and they have like local weekly tournaments, and they're all supported by Wizards of the Coast. And they get promo cards um, that are like special versions of cards. Um, that that's the only way you can get them. The only way you can get this version of this card is you just you go on the Friday night and you play, mm-hmm. and you get one of the promo cards. So you are enticing people of like. Yeah, I do really like playing Magic. Uh, yeah, but I could stay home and do something else tonight, or blah blah blah. It's like well, I'm not going to get my f- sweet free card. What's the new f- new one this week, or blah blah blah? Like, you don't be a bra- above bribery is basically what it is. <laughs> it's like you are giving that extra little boost, so they you know they jump off the cliff into the waters below, um, and so. You need to do that. I think I think like Guild Ball used to do that, where they had like seasonal support stuff. They had and, pundits, is what they were called. Yeah, and then you'd get like sweet tokens and things mm-hmm. and whatever. It's like, fucking do it. Yeah, because you know who isn't the fucking company that should be, but doesn't give a fuck about the actual players playing the game. Is Games Workshop? They don't support you at all for fucking playing their game walls. Like. <laughs> Like, do that. Be the people that actually show that they care about you playing, and you would be shocked how 
much people would rally around that. Yeah. You know, and the stores would feel good because they're getting supported by you. And so players come into your store to play their game. Employees are enthusiastic about your game because you are supporting it. Yes. And all of this means then they're spending more money in your store. And you now are making sure that I carry this game that everyone loves. Yeah. And it's like it is a positive feedback loop. All wins. The triple win. There is an opportunity here for a large miniature war game to exist that crushes on all frontiers tight rule set beautiful model is a company that cares about its players base and, and interacts with them and supports them okay just you just gotta do everything right okay everything we said you should have a notebook out there's an opportunity yeah here. but the other thing you need if you are a big company <laughs> that you a medium-sized to big company maybe even a little bit smaller than medium-sized and you want to fucking do this and you listen to everything we just said the other thing you need is you need mascots. And mascots would be people like Scott and I that we get to pick what are the awesome races and then we get to make sure the models are fucking fantastic and we get the final checkbox and all that stuff, but then we don't have to do any other work. Okay, okay. I thought you were going to say we got to pick the concept we like and then you got to make us a giant styrofoam suit and then we run around fucking Miller Stadium racing. <laughs> like yes. hot dog costumes. Yes. I thought it was going to be a literal mascot. Yeah, yeah. It's that too. Okay, it's good, too. good, good. Yeah, like there's giant, like a giant f- foam eight foot eight foot tall spaceman helmet we just put the spaceman helmet on we gotta run around we gotta do we gotta put our hat our forehead on the bat and do a bunch of circles yeah yeah and then we gotta run around the bases yeah that too but i'm just saying like if you want consultants that will take a stake in your company i'm kind of into that idea yeah i like i i will i think we have enough of of a uh opinion on what works and what doesn't that we're a valuable asset. Yeah, hey, we we got opinions for days. Dude. First things first though, send me your website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you don't hear back from me, you know why. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. I mean, I think we solved all the world's problems. We here. did, yeah. I mean, somebody can do this. I would love you know, uh, we just spent the whole episode describing how challenging it is, and we say somebody can do this. Yeah, I mean, I think I've come around. I've come around. Have you a bit? Yeah, it still needs money and, and resources for sure. Absolutely. But you know, I'm curious the goody peepees think on this. So shout off in the the comments section below of uh, the YouTube. Uh, video or head over to the trapped under plastic facebook group and mm. let's keep this conversation going like what what are your big pain points for a large scale large scale game why do you play what you play why do you hate what things do you hate about what's not there or what people do and you don't like what do you wish a game would be like oh yeah um what are what are the things we missed that are kind of key parts of today's discussion so then we can take those back so when the rich people come to us and say like listen guys Look, we surveyed our audience. We're going to put you in, in giant inflatable Tyrannosaurus Rex suits. <laughs> where you're going to fight. Yeah. You're going to fight um, in the middle of Miller Park. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for the news. Out of the news. I, I, lo- I love it when you make that microphone clip. Do you? It's just a little bit of distortion. It's a tiny bit. Yeah, a, and then it's like, ooh, you've gone too far. And it like it <laughs> modulates for you. Okay, I got one here got that one. I want to share. And I don't know if you've heard about this. I've seen it from a number of sources, but I don't have a direct link for it. <laughs> Games Workshop Masterclass, the painting thing. 
the the thing that uh, Louise Sudgen did. Yes. Okay. And still does. And still does. Okay. Um, in recent masterclass videos, I've heard from from like again multiple sources on this, and I th- I. Th- don't know if it's changed. I haven't heard from anything, or I don't know how many they actually put out. They stopped showing the people. Nice. Finally, you figured it out, JW. Don't give them a personality, and they'll, not, they'll never leave. Yes. Like recent ones, it, you could tell it was Luis. Like, I don't know. People did some like hand science. <laughs> <laughs> it was like CSI hand ammy or something. <laughs> I don't know. Hand and, science. And they, they like, they can tell, people can tell whose hands they are. <laughs> But um, but it's just it's just hands. Yeah, it's there's hands no, all the way down. Yeah, there's no faces. There's no talking head. Um, there's no awkward intro of welcome to this painting video. In this painting video, we will. Um, literally the same intro sentence every time. Like they started with the scripting. <laughs> like we're taking any personality out of this. It's, yeah, it's it, incredible. It, it used to be we're like. Uh, um, Duncan. Peachy and Duncan, they'd be like, you know, in the far from future of fucking Dark Angels, blah, 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 when they are often fighting on ships and planets. In this video, we're going to talk about painting Dark Angels. Like, they did this weird little, like, Lori kind of, Lori Larson kind of bullshit, <laughs> and then they talked about what they're doing, and they stopped that. They're like, that's too much fucking personality. Yeah, honestly, it's amazing how little personality it's is needed for someone to attach to, like, you as an individual, right? Yeah, it's it's incredible because like Duncan has an insane following, and he effectively said the same eight hundred words <laughs> in every single fucking video, right? Yeah. But it's him, you know. You you can tell like there's a there's a there's a, like a feel a connection to someone's aura, and it doesn't have to be what they say, but you can tell like oh he just seems like a pretty mellow, likable guy. Yeah, and it's just know. incredible like how little actual content needs to be said for someone to really like kind of like invest as you invest in you as a human. But if you they rub you the wrong way, it doesn't matter how much they say. <laughs> yeah, I know. So saying more doesn't help. So it seems like they're kind of just like sterilizing. They don't want people to be known. They don't want people to leave. They don't want the association to be with you, the host. They want it to be with them, the nameless, faceless company, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is par for the course. Um, I can't I remember if we ever talked about this, but I heard this recently and I didn't believe it was true, so I went to my own magic cards to confirm this. When they did the Warhammer 40K commander decks for Magic the Gathering, um, the, all the art they used was GW art. And a lot of it was, almost all of it was like new art, but it was all supplied by Games Workshop for the cards. Since the beginning of Magic, at the bottom of every card, it says in nice big letters who the artist is. Yes. Guess what it says at the bottom of every single Warhammer 40K Magic the Gathering card? GW trademark. Art by Games Workshop. Nice. Does not give a fuck about the artist. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, and what bothers me about that is a company in in good, bad, or otherwise, the history of Wizards of the Coast, of their like connection to and respect for their artists and giving them, you know, the publicity that they deserve for making awesome stuff. 
And then Games Workshop comes in and we're like, yeah, well, this is a great crossover. It was extremely successful. Like that was, there's going to be more Warhammer stuff for Magic because it was bananas and looking at their annual reports from Wizards of the Coast. So, nah, you, we don't think that these artists deserve to actually be. So it's, it's I mean, it's par for the course and it's sad. But uh, anyway, it is sad. <laughs> Other news. I'll talk about some more sad stuff. My work game sent out like a mass email. Um, that I also uh, got access to uh, explaining why they were having shipping issues. So for a while, and this it was the same was true for me. I bought the Ghoul Queen, and it took me it took like I don't know like two and a half months, some long amount of time for the model to show up. And apparently, they were having problems with their lead caster. Um, I read that as lead caster. Lead caster. Oh, they're casted lead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they're having a lot of issues with that lead caster. And so now they've been removed from the organization because they were causing inefficiencies and they had, you know, dishonest behaviors, apparently. Um, and they are fucking harsh to throw a person under the bus for all the shit that they've that they, going wrong. They weren't specific about really anything. And they didn't like they didn't name any names. So I, have, I have no idea what they're talking about. But hopefully now they're on the road to recovery for uh, for their business in terms of like uh, having good turnaround time. And still high quality models because yeah. uh, the models are, were nice. They're definitely they're definitely nice for they're sure. Nice. Yeah, the like models are amazing quality when they got to you. I I still am not okay with that. I'm still not okay with it. I don't give a shit as a customer. It's on you, the company. Don't fucking pass the buck to this guy over here. He was he was a problem. This guy was you know. But don't worry, he's gone now. I'm like, what is this? Is this how you? Do you, this is how you interact with employees, and if it's how you interact with your employees, how do you interact with your customers? I don't like that, but mm. I hope uh, fair I, opinion. I, I, don't, I, think. I don't think it's. I don't. Yeah, but that's that's all I got to say about it. I hope that their stuff is awesome. So I, I hope that their efficiencies are shored up and everything. That's, that's cool. Um, members of the Royal Navy play 40k in the Antarctic. There is this awesome article on Warmer Community of members of the English Navy. Um, playing 40k literally on the snow like the models are set up on the snow and they're playing the game and it's just a really cool article um go check it out really fun pictures in it as well yeah those are some pretty pretty awesome pictures to look at so yeah um, i'm i'm sure they kept the the queen safe from from the seals in the <laughs> listen we're hearing that they're creating attack seals up here yeah <laughs> uh, uh, Sergeant, there's no attack seals up here. What should we do for the rest of the day? <laughs> Fucking knock some dice, dude. Play your blood angels. Um, yep. Okay, what, what else do we got? We got Apex Legends, if you uh, play that game at all. I'm a fan of Apex Legends. Coming out with a board game through Kickstarter, of course. Uh, check it out. They uh, We have it linked down below, and they have... Um, a link to the notify me page for the campaign. So the campaign isn't live yet, but if you're a fan of the Apex Legends aesthetic, the uh, Titanfall aesthetic, mm. we're gonna get some models for that for that style. No Titans, but you know the the characters from Apex Legends. Yes, um, just mentioned Warhammer 40k Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering is now going to Middle Earth. They announced they have a whole big set and commander decks. It's much more even uh, fleshed out. That it's all. Um, Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth, so we're getting more crossover. All I, this is not going to be under the um, Games Workshop license, so hopefully we'll get the artists named there. <laughs> <laughs> Doubt it. <laughs> Next up, uh, Joy Toy. You know what a Joy Toy is, Scott? 
I have some ideas. <laughs> uh, it's obviously a company that makes action figures. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, okay, right. Uh, that they worked with Warhammer to do the 40k ones. They're not like the really tall ones. They're like they're kind of like halfway size, but they're like highly detailed and really cool action poses. Um, they are now teaming up with Corvus Belly to make Infinity Joy Toys. Oh, I like to. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I'd like to see some some yeah. of those models bigger. Yeah, they have previews of them on the JoyToy.com. <laughs> Actually, don't go to JoyToy.com. Go to JoyToyFigure.com. There you go. Um, Important distinction. Yeah, and uh, you can check out some of the sweet again with that really interesting, unique Infinity aesthetic. It's looking pretty sweet to see those coming. <laughs> to your joy toy <laughs> I love how James cares to say this but he says James opinion does not reflect the combined opinion of Tup okay so okay that that is a precursor and here's what James says about this next news item GW produces an absolute masterclass on how to waste time and energy with this article about dating fictional characters in the Warhammer universe I feel bad for the graphic designers who are clearly talented but were reduced to this fluff and for anyone who actually read it. <laughs> wow. Savage. <laughs> Get wrecked. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Is this seriously like a dating app simulator? Let me read this. In the grim darkness of the far future, there is only dot, 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 love. Oh, no. Oh, this is around Valentine's Day. Oh, it's God. It's a whole. Oh, my Jesus Christ. <laughs> it has the. Oh, it's like if these characters um, from Warhammer had a dating profile. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, there's Teclis, there's Uriel, there's Dreyka, Sigvald. Of course, Sigvald's got to be on here. Of course. Um, This is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit of cheeky fun. Um, It's not an actual, like, serious thing. Which I, I like that, you know, occasionally GW does that a little bit, like, takes a, you know, takes the piss a little bit yeah. at their own expense and, and just, it's it's fine. It's fine. James. It's James. Fine. James not a fan. <laughs> it's fine. James is fine. <laughs> uh, anything else in the news? Uh, oh, one more well, quick one here. We got uh, an, uh, there was a new uh, model that I really liked from that's previewed for the uh, Seraphon. That's a new like salamander thing. Are you a, are you a lizard man fan? Um, no, nah, I'm like I would never play this army. But one thing I want to show you about it. I don't know if you can pull up the picture. I am right now. The okay. Kotec? The Kotec. Okay, so you look at that giant Dilaposaurus. Uh is it the Kotec? Yeah, is this thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Look at the look at the paint job on that fin, dude. That's yeah. that's legit. It really is. Yeah. Nice, nice pattern. Feels feels like animalistic. Doesn't feel like, you know, like it was planned out. Nice like shading toward yeah. the black, you know, it gets bright in the middle. Yeah, that that, that fade up. Yeah, to almost a cream color. Like mm -hmm. this isn't just layer wash highlight up with with precision. No. This is there's a level of of uh of extra extra sauce going on here. There is, yeah. So, I'm a I'm a fan. And not so much that it was like, "Oh, we want to spread the news section with like new models that GW announces." I think from a painting standpoint this is a really interesting one i agree i agree it, i always appreciate it when gw kind of like maybe goes outside of what they normally do for their box arts to show something really special yeah and don't accidentally drop this one on the floor and step on it oh that boy would, that would hurt that would not be no it's, good it's a fucking caltrops right there <laughs>
dino kelch. That's the world's most expensive caltrops. <laughs> it's it's more expensive than actual caltrops. Yeah, dude, these solid gold caltrops are cheaper than buying a <laughs> bunch of these and throwing them on the ground for your pursuers to step on. <laughs> uh, okay, that is all the newsy news. Bye. This is the end of the podcast. Whoop, whoop. This is the part where we say goodbye. Goodbye. This is the part of the podcast. Goodbye. I don't have a last. Okay, that was it. In the sun. If you enjoy the podcast and you'd like to support us, there are many ways for you to be able to do that. They have some free ways where you can watch our podcast with ads enabled. There are browser extensions that allow you to whitelist YouTube channels. We play an ad every 30 minutes, modestly, I would say. Nothing too greedy like the fucking uh, Google AdSense mid-roll thing does automatically, dude. Dude. Uh, I uploaded a VOD for my channel, and that motherfucker is dropping ads every five minutes. And there's like a hundred ads in a, in a VOD. Yeah, it's shooting them out. Like, it's crazy. Like, it's got infinite bullets. Yeah, like it's that, nuts. It's like it's like action movies. It's like Michael Bay movies where the clip never runs out. <laughs> so we're not doing that to you. Okay? No, we're, we're not we're, doing that. We're not, we're not Michael Baying you. <laughs> We're, uh, we're doing something much more modest. 30 minutes, get, you get an ad. Uh, otherwise, you can tell your nerd friends about our podcast. You know, share, share it around with your hobby store, with people paying it, your local area. Uh, you can also um, give us a review on wherever you're listening to your podcast. Good reviews always uh, push that up in the recommendations for the platform, and we appreciate those always. If you got some cash you want to spend, you can spend it on Patreon, where we do an extended version of the podcast. We're talking about things like new stuff we tried out. Uh, for the last two weeks, talk about painters that we love and pieces from their collection that we uh, have found in the last two weeks. And we also give feedback to one of our patrons. So as a patron, you have the option to supply a model for feedback, and you also have the option to uh, supply a topic for us to discuss. That wasn't one today, but it has been one many times in the past. So those options, you can also buy some merch from our Teespring, uh, T-shirts, sweaters, sweatpants, mugs, all things linked down in the show notes or description below. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Scott, for all that. Thank you, all of you that make it all the way to the end. If you're listening to my voice right now, that means you didn't turn off the podcast episode yet. It means you're a real goody PP. Yeah, you are a true member of the goody PP nation. And we appreciate each and every one of you, especially you right there. And we're going to appreciate you very soon for if you come into Adepticon because we are T minus one month. Oh, shit. By the time you listen to this, it'll be less than a month before Trapped Under Plastic live at Adepticon. So thank all of you that are going to join us there. And thanks all of you that are going to listen to that wild craziness that's going to happen <laughs> there as well. So um, we're going to catch you back at the next episode. And until then, we see you on the flippity flop. <laughs>